have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. We'll read that story in just a moment. You know, one of the storylines that has always captured the hearts of audiences is, is that where the king, you know, the one with all the power and uh, authority, humbles himself and, and mingles amongst the commoners you have seen that storyline before, or the prince who falls in love with the peasant girl and hiding his identity, he comes down and, and comes alongside of her. Down through history, people have always reacted to those who use their power to lord it over people or use their power to be act in some self-centered way. Even in our own day, we know all about that. It was an interview uh, a couple of weeks ago with a Japanese CEO who was pulling an, an airline that was in serious trouble back on its feet. And they interviewed this, the CEO of this Japanese airline, and they showed pictures of him, and he had a cubicle, just like the administrative people in his office used. And he, he ate in the same lunchroom. He took the exact same salary as his pilots, $90,000 a year. And they asked him, they said, what do you think about American uh, CEOs of airlines that take upward of 150 to $200 million a year? And he couldn't fathom that kind of mentality. We look at our politicians, we ask questions like, you know, why aren't you under Social Security? Are you gonna be under Obamacare? Are you going to submit yourself to the same things that we as the people submit ourselves to? We, we know what that feels like within us to have that longing and desire. The thing I love about the Bible is that that is the story of the Bible. It is a king. It is a man. It is a God who does not use his power and does not use his authority over people. Most of us know the story this morning. I'd like to read it. It is the Palm Sunday story, triumphal entry. We're going to read from beginning in verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he was going, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and as he approached Bethage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, tell him the Lord needs it. Those who went ahead went and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. He doesn't tell us the rest of the conversation, but evidently he took it off. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And he went along. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples tell you, he replied, they keep quiet, 
the stones would cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. and said, if you even you had only known this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. And they will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls. And they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Well, this day was no accident. This day didn't just happen. This day was very intentional. It was very planned. It was very awaited. This day was a huge day in the history of the world. This morning I'd like to unpack the meaning and significance of this day and perhaps for all of us expand a little bigger the significance of everything that Jesus Christ did. There are three very significant roles that Jesus is portraying in this moment as he comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Now, what do you think those three roles are? Roles are. I'm going to give you just a moment. What do you think, you know, when Jesus rode into town that day, he rode in as a... Okay, just see if you can come up with three of them. See how many of these you can get this morning, because we're going to walk through them. Here's the first one. <clears throat> and we're going to do this from most obvious to least obvious. At least I think, in, in my understanding, where they would be most to least obvious. Jesus rode into town that day as a king, right? <clears throat> How many of you got that one? A king. All right, quite a few of you did. Um, <clears throat> as a king, he rode into town. Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now this is written hundreds of years before this ever happened by the prophet Zechariah. And he foretells of this day when the Messiah would come and he would come as described here. Now, why does Jesus come on the foal of a donkey? Why does he come on the foal of... And by the way, you know, a foal of a donkey is just... It's a baby donkey. It's a very young donkey. The kind where when you sit on it, your feet drag on the ground. Donkeys were that big anyway, but this was the colt of a donkey. And so it was a very small animal. And there, there's a number of reasons why. The most obvious is this, is, was, this was the prophecy. This is the way it was prophesied that he would come. Another reason is that the only animal that was allowed to be ridden on the Sabbath, which was the day that Jesus came, the only, the only animal allowed to be ridden by law was the donkey. You could not ride a horse or a camel or, or any other creature on that day. We also see that in some ways Jesus here is being contrasted to the way a lot of kings entered. They would enter with a lot of pomp and chariots and, and a big entourage. 
And so here's Jesus. You can just kind of picture it. There's this little donkey, and he's riding on the donkey, probably his lifting his feet up so they do not drag on the ground. Jesus was not an ordinary king. And the text tells us, if you notice in verse 37, it tells us why they were there. It says, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully to praise God in loud verses. Why? For all the miracles they had seen. For all of the miracles they had seen. Now, it must have been a little bit confusing. You know, Jesus is coming as his king, and, and yet he's coming in such a humble way. And yet they couldn't deny the miracles that he had done. And so little did they know that day who they were welcoming into Jerusalem. Let me just refresh our memory here, and let me describe again who they were and who they were welcoming that day. Who was this one? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, and by him all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He's before all things. In him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. That's who's riding on the donkey. That is the king that was coming. And little did they know, this was the one who had slept with them and, and walked with them and talked with them and ate with them. This is a guy that was experiencing life as all of the, you know, that they did. The, the headaches in life, the heartaches in life, you know, the backaches in life. This was one who was, you know, as he came, this was one who was hated and hunted and, and harassed and humiliated and eventually hung on a cross. This was not only the king of the Jews. This was the king of the mountains and the oceans and the seas and the galaxies and the stars. This was the king of the universe riding into town on that donkey. Someone has said, and I believe it's true, the most important thing about you, the, most, the, the single most important thing about you today is what you believe about God. It's what you believe about the king. And one of the predominant strategies of Satan is to distort one's image of the king. And it was crazy, but, you know, it, it would be just a few days it would be not very long and they would be speaking very differently about this king the most important thing about you is your view of the king one of my I, I, <clears throat> I don't have cable right now so I don't watch this regularly but I've seen a show if I were to watch one show regularly I think one of my favorite shows on TV is Undercover Boss. How many of you know that show? <clears throat> okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love that show. I think that is such a godly show. There's something 
that's very attractive about that because there's something that's very godlike about that. Those of you who don't know, it's about a, it's about bosses, you know, guys with the power and 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 the wealth and the money, and they come alongside their employees, you know, the bottom of the line employees, whatever they're doing, the guys that are scrubbing toilets and and making burgers, and they come and they spend a week just living life as they do. And then at the end, there's this scene where they sit down and they usually pick some employee in their life to bless. And and the parallels here are are very amazing between our king. In some sense, he was the undercover boss riding in Jerusalem that day, the one that had been living amongst them and experiencing life as they did. And uh, I just I wanted to show you just one one scene from the end. Uh, the end's always the favorite part, isn't it? Yeah. I just want to show you one scene from the end here of uh, one of these episodes. This is, by the way, uh, a young gal who uh, works in the KOA camp campground. People are calling in, uh, and I just want you to watch. You've probably seen this, but you'll like it. So let me ask you, what, what is your view of this king? Because this is a king who sits down across from each one of us and has a conversation, something like this. You know what? I'd like to pay for your sin. My sin? You want to pay for, for my sin? Yeah, I want to pay for your sin, not 
I'm going to pay for your sin with my life. You're going to pay for, for my sin with your life? Yeah, and, and then you know what? I, I want to bring you into my family. You mean you want me to be a part of your family? Yeah, I want you to be a part of my family. In fact, I'm going to legally adopt you. I'm going to legally adopt you. And you know what? When, when, when you're done with your work and everything, I have got a retirement place for you that it's like a mansion. Well, I could never afford it. No, it's free. It's yours. And we would say, this is amazing. This is amazing. I want you to think about your view of the king. Because God is far more generous, far more benevolent, far more loving than the scene that you just saw up on the wall that brought tears to your eyes. Does it bring tears to your eyes when you think about your king? The most important thing in your life is what you think about God, what you think about Christ. This was God riding in Jerusalem. He rides in as a king. He rides in as a king of incredible power who uses his power to bless people. That's the kind of king that rode into town that day. It was a really big day in the history of the world. Here's the second thing. The second way he rode into town was as a conqueror. Did any of you get that one? That was a little bit tougher, okay? Not very many. He rode in as a conqueror. Now this one gets a little hard to figure out. But people knew. People knew that they all expected that the king that was coming was a conquering king. He was a warrior king. He He was better than David. You know David. David was known for his conquest. I mean, they envisioned a warrior. I mean, how else do you get freedom other than fighting? And so we see here, he is riding in on a donkey. Now we have we have a this got really hard for them because I mean you picture something different, don't you, with a with a conqueror? You figure you figure out you kind of have this image of a white stallion. And he comes riding down the Mount of Olives and the disciples are following in horses behind and the crowd scrambles so they don't get trampled under the feet of the, the warrior and, and, and the the stallion and they come up to the gates and the nostrils are flaring on the horse and they're pawing at the ground and their swords are flashing and you have this picture of a conqueror. So here comes the conqueror on a on not just a donkey but the colt of a donkey. And the text says that he comes with this gentle spirit about him. And they didn't get it. They, they didn't understand. Listen to the prophecy of Zechariah 9.10. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. Israel will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Christ is not coming to bring war. He's coming to conquer war. Think about that. Jesus is such a conqueror that he's coming to conquer war itself. This one who comes will come and bring about a day when there will no longer be war. 
He will shatter the bow. There will be nothing but peace that will extend upon the earth. That is how great his conquest will be. And the thing was, no one knew his game plan. No one could fathom the strategy. No one knew the style of warfare. This was unknown to man. But nonetheless, he came in as a conqueror. See, Rome was just a symptom of the problem. Rome was just a little itty piece of the problem that Jesus came to conquer. Jesus comes to defeat the root of the problem. He comes to defeat the source of the domination of Rome. And we are not a whole lot different than those crowds sometimes. You know, we're looking for God to manifest his power in the places of our discomfort. And when he doesn't come through, we through for us, we uh, you know we start thinking all kinds of thoughts about God. But maybe he's not such a benevolent king. Maybe he's not so generous. And what we need to understand is that God is always going to the root. He's always going to the source. He's always going to that deeper need which we often don't even see. You know, these crowds didn't need relief from Rome. There was a reason why they were under Rome's dominion. They were under Rome's dominion because they had rebelled against God. Their issue was rebellion. Their issue was not Rome. You know, I, know what the pres- well, I know what the presenting issues in your life is, but it may not be the presenting issues. It may be something much deeper in your life. It may be something that God is wanting to do on a far, far deeper level. Jesus rode into town that day as a conqueror. He still rides into your life today as a conqueror. This was a really big day in the history of the world. Huge day in the history of the world. Well, there's one more role that Jesus played. I, I doubt if anyone got this one. If you got this one, I'll take you out for breakfast. Guys at the soundboard, don't come. Um, <clears throat> the third role that Jesus plays is Jesus rode into town, not only as a king, not only as a conqueror, but he rode in as a lamb. Did any of you have that one? Okay. You two got breakfast on me. <clears throat> when I get done, this, what I'm going to say next, you're going to realize that this may be one of the most obvious ones, the one that many of us have missed. Let me explain why Jesus came in as a lamb. I want you to look at Exodus with me. Exodus 12, verses 3, 5, and 6. It says, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, which was the month of Nisan in that day, each man has to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. The animals you must choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. All right, 
for hundreds of years. For hundreds of years, on this 10th day of Nisan, the, the Jews would come, and they would go, and they would go out to their flock of sheep, and they would pick a lamb that was spotless, without blemish, you know, it couldn't be limping, couldn't have bald spots on it, couldn't have old scars from getting in fights. It had to be spotless. It had to be perfect. You know, like the kind you take to the fair? And so, and it had to be one lamb for no more than every ten people. So that was a lot of, a lot of lambs. Then for four days, for four days, you would pin the lamb off and you would observe it. And you would test it. And you would make sure that it was spotless. That during those days it didn't get sick. That you didn't notice something that you hadn't noticed before when it had been out, you know, with the whole rest of the flock. And then on the following day, the 15th day, it would be sacrificed. It would be sacrificed. That's what the people have done for all these years. So what day is a question. So what day is Palm Sunday? What day is Palm Sunday in the Jewish calendar? It is the 10th day of Easter. Palm Sunday, what we celebrate today, is the 10th day of Nisan. I think that's pretty amazing. Now, if you go to the book of Daniel, there are four clear prophecies. And we're not going to get into that in any depth this morning. But it's very interesting. There are four clear prophecies. Here's what they were in the book of Daniel. We're talking now 500 years before Christ was born. Number one is there'd be a decree to build the temple. Number two, that Jerusalem would be rebuilt. Number three, that the anointed one would appear and then be cut off. It's kind of a strange thing, but the anointed one would appear and then be cut off. And the fourth prophecy was that Jerusalem would again, and the temple would again be destroyed. And we had time. We could walk through, and you could, we could talk about from, from 444 B.C. to the first of those prophecies to the last one when Jerusalem was again destroyed in 70 A.D. What's interesting is, and you'll find a little variation with scholars on this, but if you've ever looked at this in depth, what's interesting was that Daniel talks about 69 weeks. This prophecy would take place over 69 weeks, and each week, um, each of those weeks represented seven years. You add that out, you get 483 years. Figure that out, you get 173,880 days. The decree from Anerxes on the as to when they could begin, the decree that was issued to begin building the temple was March 5th, 444 BC. If you take 360 days in the Jewish calendar, which is how most scholars figure this, you figure it all out, you come out, you know when it 173,880 days ends up? The 10th day of Nisan, 33 AD. So what's going on here? I mean, this is a huge day. Jesus on the day when all of the Jews would select the lamb that would serve as their sacrifice. 
on that very day as prophesied from Daniel hundreds of years earlier, on this very moment in this time, riding on that donkey was the Lamb of God. Being presented to the Jewish people and to all the world as the ultimate sacrifice for sin. And so Jesus rode into town this day. He spent four days in Jerusalem, in the temple, being heard, being listened to, being examined by the people. And he was brought to even the most ruthless of all uh, judicial people. Nonetheless, and Pilate himself, and Pilate has his time and interview with him, and Pilate himself stands up, and what does he declare? I find no fault in this man. Four days of examination. This is the unblemished Lamb of God. It's amazing. It's truly amazing. girl in the video had it right. This is just amazing. And so what was going on? Colossians 1, 14, 13, and or let me go with verse 14. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And through him to reconcile himself all things or the things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Chapter 2, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, and he took it away, nailing it to the cross. Let me tell you, that's a lot more amazing than 50 grand for your education. And that is what Christ came to do on this 10th day of Nisan as he rode into town. It was one of the biggest days in the history of the world. An incredibly exciting day. And you know what's amazing here? Is that Jesus isn't very excited. In fact, the text tells us that he is weeping. That he is crying. Actually, it says he's convulsing. He He is sobbing is really what he's doing as he looks out. And you know, I can envision he's he's looking at the crowds and he remember those little kids that were up here? He's looking at their future. And he knows the prophetic word of Daniel, and he knows what is about to happen. And he knows how the people are about to turn from Hosanna, Hosanna to saying, Crucify him, away with this man. He's crying, and I quote, You did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And so this morning, as, as we gather here, I mean, this is just Jesus Christ comes as your king and your conqueror and your sacrificial lamb. But if you don't recognize the time of his coming, if you don't recognize the time of God's coming to you, if there's not a, an acknowledgement of who he is and and who you are and his need to come to pay for your sin and the surrender of your life to him and an inviting of this Christ to become Lord of your life, it's not a happy day. 
And we see Jesus here realizing that though he came unto his own, his own would receive him not. The wonderful news is, but to as many as did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. We don't need a fictional novel about some king that comes to bless his subjects. We have a true story. And uh, we have a king we have a conqueror and we have a savior who has come to reform us. Let me just conclude. I, I, I could relate just a little bit to this. I, I don't know if you saw, how many of you saw the city pages? One on the board back there is a big front page picture of the young man that, that broke into the church here with four other young people. And I was able to go through the, the process of uh, the restorative process they have where they sit down with those young people and those that they had offended and, and we have this time and, and they're able to say what they did and we're able to tell them how we how that impacted us and there's a time for apologies and, and we forgive you and, and all of that. It's a very it's a very wonderful thing. But when we got done and we got to the end, the gal said to each one of these young young adults so, so what are you going to do differently now to, to turn your life around? And, and they all talked about education. Education's good and, and, and going on to school and, and trying to make something of their lives. And, and, and they shared this. And, and when it was all done, I just had this. I had this. I wasn't weeping, but I had this sadness inside of me. And I was just going, I wonder if they're really going to find the answer. Because education's a good thing, but what they really need is ultimately is not education. And ultimately what they need is not just to be restored to you and me and the people that broke in. They need to find peace with God. I mean, and I was just, it, it just, it just made my heart hurt as I thought, because there was a sincerity in their lives to want to make something of their lives. And there was really a sincerity there to, to change and find a new direction. But the scripture teaches that if you try and find new direction and transformation in your life apart from Christ, it's probably not going to be too long and you're going to be right back where you started. And so I, I, I would challenge you to pray for they would meet this one who rode in on this day. Father, today we we look at this day, and Lord, I, I would pray that perhaps all of us have come to realize this is really a big day. I mean, in fulfillment of prophecy and in, in the order of things and in what you were proclaiming on that day, that, that you came as, as king of the universe and conqueror of all the powers of hell and Savior of, of, of every human being on the earth for whosoever will come and receive this salvation. So I pray today, Lord, for anyone here who has not received you into their life and your Holy Spirit and experience the transforming power that you came to bring. Father, I pray that in this moment right now that anyone here, simply by faith, acknowledge their need and their sin and, and 
acknowledge your sufficiency and receive you as king, as conqueror, and as savior. Father, as your people might, uh, might this day just remind us the kind of king that you are and the kind of conqueror that you are and that perfect sacrifice that you are. And may we live and move and have our being in your grace today. We just proclaim you as king and lord today.